Well, we're in our series, Unshakable. We've been talking about the life of Daniel. And Daniel has been um, helping us to come to grips with what it means to understand about the tests of life. And we've been uh, traveling with Daniel and learning about an awful lot of things. Last week, Pastor Pam covered for us what it meant uh, when we see success and, and where is it that we give the honor for that and from where does honor come? Well, today it's really important for us to know that after a 45-year reign, King Nebuchadnezzar is now dead. In fact, his grandson, Belshazzar, has now become the king of Babylon. And this is where we're picking up our, our story today. Now, um, Belshazzar was an interesting leader. Uh, he was not all with it, so to speak. He was a party boy. He was probably like a frat boy, okay? So imagine a frat boy. That was King Belshazzar. And, and what we find out is he always liked to party, and, and he would always invite friends to come to the palace and they would uh, whoop it up with drinking and lots of food and things like that. And he turned out to be a horrible, horrible king. Now, in the midst of all of this happening, um, his enemies, the Persians and the Medes, began to recognize now is our opportunity to overwhelm, seize, and overthrow the leadership of Babylon. So what, is a, um, what does a party boy do when, when people are around and camped around you ready to take you over and seize you? He throws a party. So let's pick up on the story here and understand what's so important. Uh, Belshazzar, he, he invites a thousand of his best friends um, and they come together for this party. So let's pick up the story. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and they all got drunk. So you know where this is going. And while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor, had taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar's the one that ransacked Jerusalem, took about 25% of the population back to Babylon. Uh, some of the, uh, the fittest men, he took them into captivity. Daniel was one of them. He thought it would be fun to drink using these goblets intended for the worship of God. Folks, that's called sacrilege. That's when we take something that's holy, something that's sacred, and we use it instead of glorifying God, we use it against God. We use it to make fun of God. We use it to uh, just throw it out there and, and act like it's nothing. So he, he dishonors God with this thought. So they did use the cups, laughing and making toasts to all the pagan gods and idols. And suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared in the royal banquet hall and began supernaturally riding on the plaster walls of the palace. The king and all the guests watched this hand as it wrote. Now think about it. how many of you have ever seen the movie or the program The Addams Family? You remember Thing, the hand? Yeah, okay. Da, 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 da. Okay, so, so imagine that. Now, I don't think Thing was, in, was alive back then, but, but think about it for a second. So this disembodied hand is writing on the wall. Now, the writing on the wall, that's where the phrase that we use today, the writing is on the wall, that's where it comes from. It comes from this story of Daniel. It comes. So what does that mean, the writing's on the wall? It means that, that something's about to happen. It means that, that something bad will happen or it's evident that's going to happen. It means you're going to lose your job. It means that, that a loss or something is going to happen and expose you for some great thing that has happened. Let's pick up the story. When the king saw this, when the king saw the writing on the wall, it scared him to death. And his face turned pale and he was frightened that his knees knocked together 
and his hips gave way. I mean, he is really trembling by experiencing what he's seeing on the wall. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. So this writing is on the wall, but nobody can interpret it. Nobody can read it. Nobody knows what, what does it mean and what is it, why is it here? And back then, what do you do when you didn't know what to do? You call Daniel. So they summoned Daniel to come, and Daniel comes in because he's the go-to guy. So Daniel enters into the banquet hall, and he sees the writing that this disembodied hand has placed on the wall, and he begins to read it. And here, here's something else that's a, a fact that we need to know. It was written in Aramaic. This is the only time in the Old Testament that Aramaic is used. The rest of the Old Testament is Hebrew. Jesus spoke Aramaic. We need to remember that because we've seen Jesus all throughout this story with Daniel, haven't we? So all of a sudden now, this writing of Aramaic, it's on the wall. What did the message say? It said these words, many, many, tekel parson. That's what it said. That, those were the Aramaic words. What does that mean? So Daniel comes in and Daniel reads it. Now it's a language that they don't understand, but Daniel can read it. God gives him the vision. God says, Daniel, I want you to interpret this. So many, basically what that means is it means numbered. It means, king, your days are numbered. In fact, your kingdom is coming to an end and your life is about to end. Tekel means weighed. It means that the God has weighed Belshazzar. He has weighed judgment upon this king and he has weighed his judgment down upon him. Parson, parson means to divide. And sure enough, when we read the story, we find out that the Persians and the Medes divide the kingdom of Babylon in that very moment. So, so what we learn here is this is not good news at all for Belshazzar, is it? Now, archaeologists have told us that there's something significant to understand about Babylon during these times. It was seen to be impenetrable. In fact, the walls that surrounded the city of Babylon were about 85 feet wide. So think about that today. So probably even some of our... our, our um, our most powerful missiles today would take a couple of shots before it would get all the way through and destroy the city. But the other thing is that the Euphrates River ran right through the city of Babylon. And this is important for us to know because this is how the Medes and the Persians captured Babylon. They knew there was no way that they could penetrate the walls, so what did they do? They, they diverted the Euphrates River. And once the water subsided and went away, they actually went underneath the walls, walked right into the city, and killed the king. Now, it's important that when we look at this story that we understand that wisdom is the main word we want to look for today. We want to look for wisdom, so unshakable. How do we have unshakable wisdom? We need to learn from the past. We need to learn from other generations. We need to make sure that before we start plowing ground that we understand what worked and what didn't work from our past. We need to learn from people who are seasoned in our lives, people who can share with us. So let me give you a couple of pointers this morning when it comes to having wisdom. And these are some of the, the points that, that the scriptures tell us that gives wisdom to our lives. And here's the first one. You're a lifelong learner. Make a commitment to never stop learning. You know, I've heard people say, and I said it too, you know, Robert, you were talking about in your life, we, we kind of come to that boastful time in our lives where we say, well, once I just get out of school and, and boy, I'm just going to conquer the world because that's when my life begins. But you know what? God constantly teaches us, doesn't he? Every single day of our life, God is teaching us something that's new. 
And God is pouring into us the focus of what life is. So we must always be open to learning. Uh, Proverbs says, commit yourself to instruction. Tune in your ears to hear the words of knowledge. So your education doesn't stop when school stops. Proverbs also says, do yourselves a favor and learn all you can, and then remember what you learn, and then you'll prosper. So it's not just learning, it's remembering what we learn. And when we learn and we remember what we learn, the scriptures are, are very foundational. They say that's when we will prosper. Here's the second one, the second piece of wisdom. Learn the lessons of the prior generation. What has the prior generation done? You know, one of the four tenets of our ways of doing theology as United Methodists is we see scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Tradition is one of those. And what does that mean? How has the church defined this since the beginning of time? What is the tradition? What is the value that it says? And that's where this value takes us in learning from prior generations. King Belshazzar could have learned some great lessons if he had only observed the life and lived into the lessons that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had learned. Nebuchadnezzar had made mistakes. Belshazzar could have learned from those mistakes. But for whatever reason, he chose not to do that. And because he didn't listen, because he didn't observe, because he didn't live into the life that his grandfather had had, guess what? He lost his whole kingdom. He lost his life and things changed dramatically. So learning from other generations holds great truth. We learn in the book of Job. Job is one of our books of wisdom in the Bible. There's a couple of books that are called wisdom books. Job is one of those. And here's what it says. It says, ask the former generations and find out what their fathers learned. For we were born only yesterday and we know so little. What does that mean? We were born yesterday and we know so little means we have to surround ourselves with the right people. Now, I'm not saying that, that we don't ever associate with non-Christians. That's not what I mean here, because we're called to associate with all people. We're, we're not just called to associate with believers, are we? We're, we're called to associate with all people because God loves all people, and we're called to help call them into the kingdom. But, but what we learn from the wisdom writings here is that, that we need mentors, models, partners, and friends. Those are the four kinds of people that we need, mentors, models, and we need uh, partners and friends. Mentors are like coaches. They're the ones who coach us through life. They're the ones who say, you know, hey, this is, this is a direction. We ask powerful questions. They help, help us to learn from the questions that we ask, and they help guide us in the right directions. That's what a coach is. A mentor, a mentor is, is somebody that, um, that we, or excuse me, a partner is somebody that, that brings wisdom into our life. And a partner, partner is somebody who um, are those that want to row the boat with us. It's like our coworkers. It's like our, our Christian friends. It's like the people that, that, that row with us, that we have a common goal together. So we do that. It's called a partner. We also know that um, we see uh, friends. Friends are folks that, that, that are invaluable. Friends are invaluable. We all need friends. And a friend's role is not necessarily to be a coach or a partner. It's, it's actually just to be a friend. In fact, the best way to be a friend to somebody is to love them through all of their life's messes. Do you have a good friend like that? Do you have somebody that, that you can call at three in the morning and say, the wheels have fallen off the bus of my life and I, I need help, and that they will drop whatever it is, whatever they're doing, 
and they will come and be by your side. That's a friend. A friend is one who sees your sins. A friend is one who sees the warts in your life. And when everybody else is running away from you, the friend is running to you. The big thing that we see friends that are in our lives. And this is why the Bible contains um, all these biographies, I call them, of, of people, of, of history, people that we need to know. Daniel was real, Nebuchadnezzar was real, Moses was real, Jesus is real. And these are real stories of real people. They're not just made up things for us to say, oh, I wish you know, that was a real character. They are real people that we know. And every life's lesson that we will ever confront every life's lesson that is before us, every life's lesson that we've screwed up, every life's lesson that we've succeeded with, guess what? Somebody in Scripture has informed us how to handle it, how to deal with it, because they've been there, and they know exactly what that means. Listen again what the Apostle Paul says. Paul says, take these things Take, take the stories of the Bible. Take this, these rich nuggets of what Scripture has to say. Paul says, take these things, occurred as examples to warn us and keep us from wanting to do the same evil things that they did. For Scripture says that we should avoid drunkenness, we should avoid those drunken parties, sexual immorality, worshiping things that aren't God. We should not test the Lord's patience or grumble and complain as some did and died. And these things happened as examples and were written down as warnings for whom? Us. So what we see is we see the foundation. We see the prior examples that have been made. It's like if you have children, you pass down to your children the knowledge and wisdom that you have for life and you help them negotiate the challenges that are there. So let's recap real quickly. Make a commitment to never stop learning. Learn the lessons of the prior generation. Here's the third one. Maintain a humble attitude that honors God. It's the humility that's within us. It's about God, it's not about us. And I think that if we could somehow get that right, we would be different and the world would be different. But so often we want to put ourselves on the throne and we want to place God down at our feet when that's not at all how this has been designed. It's been designed that we are at the feet and God is on the throne and the challenge that comes from there. You see, uh, we've heard, you've heard me say that humility and teachability are the kinds of things that we live into. And the scriptures say that pride comes before the fall. That whenever we're prideful, whenever we're just shining ourselves up so the world can see it, trust me, you're about ready to fall off the pedestal that you've created for yourself. The scriptures say reverence for the Lord is an education in itself, that you must be humble before you can ever receive honors. Before we can ever be recognized as a child of God, we have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves to know that we cannot save ourselves, but that Jesus Christ is our Savior. We must humble ourselves to know that God is God and we are not. In fact, whenever, we're, whenever you're in a problem, whenever you're in trouble, and you're wanting to just take the bull by the horns and just mail your way through that, say those words in your mind, God is God and not me. God is God and not me. God is God and not me. Say that three times as you're going through that to remind yourself that God is God and you're not. So how do you have a, a lifelong life of wisdom? 
You need to get to know God. I need to get to know God more. The more we get to know God, the more we get to know his word. The more we get to know God and God's word, guess what? The better relationships that we have. The more we get to know God and God's word, not only do our relationships get her, but, but, but we also begin to see that our life changes. And we begin to see the changes that will come from there. And we begin to receive the wisdom that helps us to diffuse the problems that come and we encounter in our life. Here's one, one other one. Put into practice what you've already learned. So it's not just learning, but it's actually putting it into practice. Faith without works is, what does James say? It's what? Dead. So we, we can't just say I'm a person of faith and I live in faith. We have to do faith. We have to do life that reflects the faith that we confess that we have. So King Belshazzar, he loses everything because he fails in this point. He's not willing to put into practice anything all that he's learned. In fact, um, he pridefully refuses to learn from the prior generation. He was the grandson of the great King Nebuchadnezzar. And you know, it's, guys, it's kind of all whacked out because you know um, it says his son, but it really was grandson. In Babylon, it, they were just always called father, not grandfather. So it's just a little piece of history there. So what we see, though, is he, he knows this. He sees his grandfather's mistakes. His grandfather made plenty of them. We've been talking about that, but he never learned anything from any of those mistakes at all. And what happens in this encounter with God? God says, Belshazzar, I might feel differently about you had you done something differently? Had you tried to learn from the past? Had you tried to even you know, uh, put into practice some of the mistakes that you saw so that you could change your ways, but because you didn't do that, Belshazzar, your kingdom is coming to an end. So Daniel was the guy. He's called in. He interprets. He points out, and here's what he says. King Belshazzar, even though you knew all that happened to your father, you didn't learn from his life and you still refuse to humble yourself before God who rules from heaven. Notice it says that you knew. You knew. It doesn't say yeah, you, didn't, you didn't know. It says you knew. And Belshazzar failed to learn. So there's a difference between knowing and learning. Knowing is just kind of receiving knowledge. Learning is actually doing something, an application of the knowledge that we learn. So there is a big difference that's there. You see, you can go to a marriage seminar and you can get a book, and you can learn a bunch of stuff, and you can come back to your home and put it in your home office. And if you're never, if you're never using what you learned in that marriage seminar, it's never going to help your marriage, is it? Well, I went to the seminar. I've got head knowledge. Here it is. Put it on the bookshelf. But your marriage will crumble if you don't implement what you learn. We see this happening with all sorts of things. If I were to uh, be reading it like a, a diet book or something, and I would be reading that, and I'd be saying, oh, here, and I'm highlighting all these points of how to change my eating habits and exercise and all those things. If I'm studying and trying to implement in my mind and learn what it means to live a healthier life, but while I'm reading that and marking it up, if I'm chowing down on a Twinkie and eating pork rinds, come on, somebody else does that too, right? So does it make any sense? It doesn't. You're not putting into practice what you're learning. And that's what we need to see from here. Here's the most important thing to learn this morning. If I don't humbly learn from the generations before me, I will end up making the same what? Mistakes. Wow. 
I'll make the same mistakes that they made themselves. You see, let's get serious for a second. Not that we haven't been serious, but let's kind of, let's kind of focus this down. Some people in this world are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. Let me tell you why I mean that. Because in their head, they think they've figured out how to get there. Well, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, and I do this, then I'm in. Some people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. They've learned it here, but nothing has changed here. They're still living the same life. They're still making the same choices. They're not, they're not moving forward in the way that Christ calls them to move. You see, sometimes I, I forget this, and I'm sure you do too, that God made us for a reason. And God loves you for all reasons. And these are two things that we have to hold on to. The Apostle Paul said, some people have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. So the question this morning for all of us here today and those live streaming is, do you know God? Do you know Jesus Christ? You see, you might be a great business person, you might be a great teacher, you might be a great doctor, you might be a, a great lawyer, you might be a great uh, whatever. But do you know God? Is Christ the Lord of your life? And these are some powerful things that we need to know. How do you know if God is a part of your life? Because your life is different. It's not the same. That people will see the likeness of Christ in you. They will see the contagious spirit that is in you. You see, Christians can't be grumpers. Christians can't have you know, constipated looks on their faces all the time. We're joyful people. We're called to be joyful. In fact, we're called to be joyful even in life's most difficult situations because we are sons and daughters of a king. See, some of us struggle with it and we say, yeah, I've got Jesus in my heart, but yet we're still holding grudges. Yeah, I've got Jesus in my heart, I know the Lord but we're still judging people. Yeah, I know the Lord, I'm one of his disciples, but yet we're constantly nagging on the person that we live with. Yeah. Something's got to change. And it's you, it's me, it's not God. So do we know God? Some may have gotten religion, but do you have relationship? And that's something I can help you with this morning is to deepen that relationship. So let me, let me ask you to do this. And those of you that are live streaming, would you just bow your head for a moment this morning? I just want us to just bow our heads and I just want us to focus. I'm not asking you to pray out loud the, these words that I'm praying, but if you wanna do that, let me just invite you to do that. But I want you to hear this prayer and I want you to live into it. So will you pray with me? God, I know you made me. And I'm understanding that you love me. And I know about you. But I really want to know you personally. 
Lord Jesus, I want you in my life, so today, as humbly as I can say it, I open my life to you. I, I want to start the journey of learning, and I, and I want to be a lifelong person of learning and on this journey of loving you. Not learning about the world, but learning about you and how you can change my life. Pray this in your heart. I, I want to commit to you what I learned today first. I, I want to never stop learning, so, so help me, Lord. Help me, help me, help me. Help me learn the lessons of prior generations to, to not make the same mistakes that they did. God, help me to maintain a, a humble attitude that honors you every day of my life. I want to know you. I don't want to get to the end of my life at the final exam and hear you say, good run, didn't pass. So as best as I know how today, I humble myself. I humble myself before you and I ask you today to accept me into your family. I want to learn to love you. I want to learn to trust you. I want to learn to understand Jesus. And I want to understand what you came to do when you came as Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh. May my life be changed. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. Amen.